The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, June 5th, 2022, on the basis of Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. I have to admit, I had a hard time not feeling a little bit smug. I was reading this recent article that was getting quite a bit of attention. It was written by a psychologist and professor and author by the name of Jonathan Haidt. And in that article, he proudly and definitively declared that mankind had rebuilt the Tower of Babel. Can you believe that? In fact, you know what it kind of made me think of? It made me think of that scene in the movie Dumb and Dumber. When Jim Carrey's character is walking through the restaurant and he sees hanging there on the wall this framed page from a newspaper going all the way back to 1969 where the headline was about the moon landing, which evidently was news to him. And so when he saw it, he was amazed and overjoyed. He walked into the next room and he told everyone, we landed on the moon. We rebuilt the Tower of Babel. Doesn't Jonathan Haidt know what you probably learned in Sunday school? That what is described in these verses is a -a one-of-a-kind project that was only possible because at that time everyone could speak the same exact language. Doesn't he know that this project didn't just fizzle out, but that God brought it to an end by confusing everyone's language. Doesn't he know that that's the reason why we have different languages in our world, why I am speaking to you in English while other people speak Spanish or German or French or Mandarin? Doesn't he know we rebuilt the Tower of Babel? It's hard for me to even think of anything that is dumber than that. Well, Before we get too smug, why don't we hold off for just a bit as we actually look at these verses that are in front of us this morning. And as we do, probably the first important thing that we need to realize is where we are in the book of Genesis. When Moses wrote the book of Genesis, he organized it in such a way that the first entire 10 full chapters plus nine more verses tell the story of all of mankind. Everything that happens in those 10 chapters and 9 verses happened to people who were ancestors of us all. It is only at chapter 11, verse 10, a.k.a. the verse that comes right after the last verse that you see in your service folder, that Moses then began to narrow the focus on specific peoples, specific families, and specific individuals. And so what happened in these verses, the events that they described happened to people who were ancestors of us all. We have more in common with them than we might think. Yes, the building project that they undertook was unique in some ways, and yet what they were after with that building project are things that all of us seek in life. The tools that they used in that building project bear a striking resemblance to tools that we like to use in our building projects Two, and even the way that God frustrated 
their plans and brought their building project to an end bears a striking resemblance to the way that some of our plans still run up against frustration today. This might seem like a one-of-a-kind event, but we have more to learn about ourselves and more to learn about God in these verses than we might think. And in fact, maybe we shouldn't even be surprised. Because after all, a, a tower like the one that these people built, a tower is meant to stand for a long period of time, right? A tower is something that people can look at, and in fact, a tower sends a message. It communicates something to the people who are looking at it. So as we look at this tower, there's a lot we can learn about ourselves and about God. Even though these things happened a long time ago, we're going to see that we are all still living in the shadow of Babel. So like I said, it might be easy to think that something like this has never, will never happen again. After Noah and his family got off the ark, God told his people that he wanted them to multiply and he wanted them to spread out. In other words, they could set up camp for a while in one specific place, but then they had to break camp and go somewhere else. God wanted them to keep scattering until the entire earth was full of people. Why? Not just so that the earth could be full of people, but so that the earth could be full of the sound of the Lord's name. What the Lord had revealed to people about himself and what he had promised to do by sending his son Jesus. And for a while, people started to do it. But then they came to this beautiful place, this flat, fertile plain called Shinar, a wonderful paradise that seemed to be able to provide everything that they could possibly need for as long as they could possibly imagine. And so at that point, they decided that they were going to stop pulling up their tent pegs and instead, we're going to build something far more permanent. A city with walls so that they would be protected. A tower that would reach all the way up to the heavens so that the earth would be full of the sound of their name, not the Lord's name. This tower would be a monument that would speak to their ability and their ingenuity even long after they were gone. It was an ambitious project, but... They had the tools and the techniques at their disposal in order to make it happen. Rather than having to, to look for and gather stones of all different shapes and sizes, they had figured out how to make bricks and to make them quickly at that. Uniform, hard, dense, coated with tar, impervious to the elements. And so they said to one another, let's get after it. And they did. And they all understood each other because they all spoke the same language, at least until God intervened, right? And then we all know what happened. God came down. God confused their language. The people were divided. There was conflict. Eventually, all of their sky-high dreams were shattered. Eventually, all of the people scattered. That building project came to a very quick and abrupt end. God made sure that nothing ever remotely close to this was ever going to happen again, right? I don't know. I think we know a little bit what it's like to try and get after some of the things that they were trying to get after with that building project. Things like prosperity, security, legacy. Those are things we're all looking for out of life. And we all try and build things that will deliver those things to us. And I don't know. If they had tools and techniques that were pretty advanced for their time, can you imagine if they saw what we have today? tools that allow us to build things with speed and with scale. 
tools that allow us and in fact even teach us to have dreams that are sky high and to expect results now. Oh, but they could all speak to one another. They all spoke the same language. We can't do that anymore. Well, I don't know. I can find at least a few people, a few tower builders who will help work with me so that I can make a name for myself. Let's get after it. We're the Bowers. In fact, come to think of it, I can find even more people to work at building a tower with me than likely were ever on the job site at the Tower of Babel. Let's get after it. We're Americans. We know an awful lot what it's like to try and, and build projects just like theirs. In fact, you know what's interesting? One thing I found out this week, you would think that there was maybe some sort of site where archaeologists believed that these events, that the Tower of Babel had taken place. If these events really were real, I know the building project came to a quick and abrupt end, but you'd think that something was left standing, right? Well, there isn't. Instead, there are several. There are several different sites that people think might be the place where the Tower of Babel was built. And in fact, the city that was eventually named after Babel, the city called Babylon, eventually became a gigantic city. And they had these hanging gardens that were one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. In other words, even long after Babel, people kept building towers. Even this long after Babel, people are still building towers. No, God hasn't told us that we need to be spreading out and scattering across the face of the earth. It is not a sin if you live in a permanent house instead of a tent. But God has told us that he wants us to live our lives on this earth as strangers, as foreigners, as wanderers. He wants us to realize that things like security, things like prosperity will always be fleeting in this life. He wants us to live our lives, not trying to make a name for ourselves, but instead trying to make a name for him. Instead, we like to build our towers. God still lets projects, building projects just like this, get off the ground. In fact, so much so and with so much success that we can be excited and optimistic about what is going to happen. So much so that a guy like Jonathan Haidt would say, that the Tower of Babel has been rebuilt. And even though we would disagree with him on that, what's interesting is that when Jonathan Haidt said that, he wasn't actually talking about today. He was talking about 10 years ago, 2011. One of the reasons he actually reaches that conclusion is because it was in that year that Google Translate became available on everyone's smartphone, allowing us to communicate with people in other languages. But more importantly than that, his view is that 2011 was the year when human optimism reached its high point. What has happened since then? Optimism has plummeted. Confusion and division have skyrocketed. No one trusts anyone. Everyone hates everyone. Instead of prosperity, we've got mothers looking for baby formula on empty shelves. Instead of security, we've got kids getting shot when they go to school. 
In fact, the title of Jonathan Haidt's article wasn't, We've arrived, look at what we've done, nothing can stop us now. The title actually was, Why the Last Ten Years of American Life Have Been Particularly Stupid. And in that very thing is where we see the goodness of God in these verses. It's goodness that isn't always easy and it's goodness that isn't always pleasant, but it is exactly what we need. That God continues to let building projects get up off the ground and God continues to make sure that they never get finished. Which means that as a result, there are these monuments that we get to look at and stare at. Monuments not to our ingenuity and our power, but monuments to our arrogance and our folly. Even all these years later, we are still living in the shadow of Babel. People still want to build their towers, but the towers that people build will always lead to dreams that are shattered and people being scattered. So is there any hope that we can come out from underneath the shadow of Babel's tower once and for all? Here's the point where it'd be really tempting to rush immediately all the way ahead to that day that we are here to celebrate today, that day that is called Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit enabled Jesus' disciples to declare the praises of Jesus in all kinds of different languages, even without Google Translate. And we'll get there, but not quite yet. Before we jump ahead all the way to Pentecost, we should probably go just to the very next verse. Chapter 11, verse 10. When after telling all of these accounts of things that happened to the entire human race, Moses does begin to narrow the focus to specific peoples, specific families, specific individuals. In the very next verse, he tells us the account of just one of Noah's three sons, the son named Shem. And after that short account, we get to the account of just one of Shem's descendants, a man by the name of Terah. And then eventually, we get to the very long account of one of Terah's three sons, a man by the name of Abraham. A man whom God called to leave his home, to leave his country, and to spend the rest of his life living in a tent. Unlike the people at Shinar, Moses never once stopped pulling up his tent pegs so that he could build a tower. And eventually that man, I'm I'm sorry, I said Moses, I think. Abraham never stopped pulling up his tent pegs. And eventually that man named Abraham became a great nation. But that nation spent 400 years in a strange and foreign land, far from their home, as slaves, no less. And then even as Moses was writing these words of the book of Genesis, that great and powerful nation was traveling through a wilderness, not a flat and fertile plain, but a wilderness, and they were living in tents. And eventually from that nation, a single baby boy was born named Jesus, the son of God himself, far, far from his rightful home, taking on a human body as his tent, And in that tent, he lived a perfect life for all of the tower builders who have descended from Babel. In that tent, he paid for 
all of the arrogance and all of the folly that we see in the monuments left after Babel. In that tent, he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and in the process built something with his flesh and blood that is far more indestructible than anything that could ever be built out of brick and mortar. Through Jesus, God invaded, God disrupted. In fact, God turned upside down a world full of tower builders using nothing more than a tent. And then on Pentecost, then the canopy of that tent suddenly spread out wide and 3,000 people found shelter underneath. As the apostles were able to declare the praises of Jesus, the name of the Lord in every language under heaven, that tent spread its wings and 3,000 people came underneath. There was room for all of them. There was room for the Parthians. There was room for the Medes. The Romans found a spot. The Arabs found a place too. In fact, as the Christian church would continue to find out, there was room underneath that tent for people who looked different, for people who talked different, for people who dressed and ate and drank different. There was room for all of them as God continued to rebuild David's fallen tent. There's room for the Bowers. There's room for Americans. There's room for all of us. And everyone who seeks all of those things that we spend our lives getting after, prosperity, security, legacy, everyone who seeks those things under that tent will find shelter. Or as the prophet Joel put it, when he saw that day 700 years in advance, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Only God could build a tent like that. We don't like to hear that very much. We like the tools that allow us to build with speed and scale, the tools that put the control and the credit in our hands. But only God could build a tent like that, which is why we need to pray our Pentecost prayers. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, send out your spirit and renew the face of the earth. And yet here's the beautiful thing. Even though we don't deserve to have anything placed in our hands, even though anything placed in our hands is almost destined to be botched and butchered, God in his grace puts something in our hands as he does that work. He doesn't just send out his spirit and then leave us to stare up into the sky and wonder where and when and why and how the Holy Spirit is going to do his work. No, instead he bottles up that spirit in his word. Instead, he ties, he binds, he double knots the work of the Holy Spirit to his word. And so anytime we are feeling the heat of life under the sun and looking for a little bit of shelter, anytime we see someone who is out there still trying to build their tower and we want them to come underneath the tent, anytime we might be wondering whether there really is room for us after what we've done, don't just look up into the sky and hope that the Holy Spirit comes. Yes, pray, Lord, send out your spirit. But then come and hear the sound of God's word. Go and share the sound of God's word and be confident that that prayer will be answered.
You know, there was one part in particular of Jonathan Haidt's article where I thought he hit the nail right on the head. It was a very short part. The article had a, a very succinct subtitle. Why the last 10 years of American life have been uniquely stupid? Subtitle, it isn't just a phase. Jonathan Haidt was more right than I think he even realized. Even all these years later, we still are very much living under the shadow of Babel. We still love our building projects, but the towers that we build will always leave dream shattered and people scattered. And yet, thankfully, the tent that only God could build will always provide us with shelter. He was right. It wasn't just one event. It wasn't just a phase. In fact, what happened on Pentecost was just the start of the earth's last days. And so long as those last days continue, God will continue to do exactly what he did at Pentecost in exactly the way he promised to do it. He will send out his spirit through his word. So yes, we still live in the shadow of Babel, but there is always shelter under Pentecost's tent. Amen.